Hi there, I'm G, and you're listening to Represented. This is a show where we like to read books that don't seem to be worth it, and we claim that it was. As a feeble defence against any sort of claims of bias, we use Goodreads.com as a reference. If a book has an average rating on there of less than three stars, then it's going on our bookshelf. This is our first ever live episode. We recorded in West End Lane Books in West Hampstead, so thank you very much to them for hosting us, and a big thanks to our audience for even turning up. This is also the last episode of Season 1 for us. I've only just decided that we're doing this show in seasons, but it is what it is. There will be a Season 2 at some point, but probably not for a few months. This month, Ed is giving us his version of Pride and Prejudice and Mistletoe by Melissa de la Cruz, which has a current Goodreads rating of just 2.66. You can find content warnings for this episode in the show notes, typed up by Nemo. Thank you very much. Now, over to our outside broadcast. Hi! Thanks for coming, and uh, welcome to this episode of Represented. I'm G, I use he, him pronouns, and uh, I'm going to tell you about the last book I bought in an actual bookshop, which is called Carter Beats the Devil, which I think is about a magician, maybe set in the 30s, don't know, haven't read it yet, Um, (laughs) bought it because my brother recommended it to me, Um, but yeah. That's 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 my book. So let's let's go along the table. Uh, uh, my name's uh, Ed Cartwright, uh, and the last book that I bought in a bookshop was a thing called The Horologicon by a man called Mark Forsyth, and it is to this day one of my favourite ever books. Um, and a horologicon is a is a thing that monks used to use uh, so that whenever they uh, whenever they um, found themselves in need of a prayer, they would be able to open it up and uh, they could find according to which hour of the day it was what prayer they needed. So Mark Forsyth decided to update it to the modern day and just fill it full of words. Words that have gone out of use, but which are very useful at that point in the day, if you see what I mean. Uh, and it opens with a, a, um, a thing about utkere, which is an Anglo-Saxon word, which means uh, lying awake before the dawn, worrying. And I feel like a lot of people in this day and age could definitely <laughs> yeah. use that yeah. word. Uh, and it's spelt U H T C E A R T E. Utkere. And it's okay. this is and it's full of stuff like that. It, I cannot recommend it enough. And also, the book was a book called um, Mr. B's Bookshop in Norwich, and it's a fabulous bookshop, and I would recommend that as well. The second best bookshop after this bookshop. Obviously. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, this being our live episode, I should have mentioned this before. Yeah, now. probably. Uh, we are recording in West End Lane Books. We've got our very friendly uh, bookshop staff member Leon lurking in the background. Hi, well, Leon. Well. Awesome man. Um, uh, so yeah, thank you very much to West End Lane Books for having us and having you guys, our audience. Mm. Um, sorry, let's continue. Mm. I think the last book that Grace. I um, oh yeah, I'm Grace. I use they them <laughs> pronouns. I think the last book that I bought in a bookshop was probably an embarrassingly long time ago. Um, I think it was um, why I'm no longer talking to white people about race, and I think we were buying it. Mm. You didn't want to ask the the person in the bookshop where it might be, so <laughs> yeah. I ended up doing it. Yeah, yeah. But neither of us could remember what it was called or who wrote it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we had to look it up, and then I wrote it down on my phone and yeah. went to go and ask the attendant yeah. of the bookshop yeah. where it was, who then very nicely took us to where it was and bought yeah. it. And I've not finished wow. it yet. Yeah. Would you recommend it even though you haven't finished it? From what I have read of it, mm. it is something that most white people should read. Well, yes. I'm Nemo. I use they, them pronouns. And the last book that I bought in a bookshop was called Unorthodox LGBT and Religion. L- LGBT and Faith. Being LGBT and Faith. 
some title like that. Mm. So you don't know what it's called? Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I have Grace to go and ask book attendants to get me books, because I don't have a memory for books. Um, I would really recommend it. It's really cool. It's um, a pan-religious book uh, of people telling their stories about their religion and talking about how their faith and their sexuality can be difficult or like thinking about it can be difficult but how most of them do have happy endings or not endings because they're all still living people um we're live this may happen (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah talking about like working for really hard things and coming out of it positively and loving god or gods or religion wow that's really cool yeah Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting nice Okay, Ed, you have right. a book for us. I do. It is wrapped up in my scarf. Um, <laughs> I'm wondering what you know what? I, I looked around and I was like, it's very possible Ed has not brought the book. And so I, yeah. just, I just Googled the cover. <laughs> just, in, just, in, just in case it's in here and I hadn't got the... Right, so what I have got wow, is... You've gone so hard, Ed. I'm really... <laughs> <laughs> just try and make sure that no one saw what I was going. It's Phrasing. called Pride, <laughs> Pride and Prejudice and Mistletoe oh by God. Melissa De La Cruz. Uh, and the, the sort of tagline to it is Christmas is coming to Pemberley. Oh, okay. um, yeah. I wish I had this one. Oh, my God. Uh, Nemo, would you like to judge this cover? Yeah. Oh, judge man. this book by its cover. This, this cover, it's... Oh, so boy. the text is on, like, a piece of ribbon that's, like, curled around like an orange peel. Um, <laughs> and there's a cartoon man and woman who are kissing under some mistletoe and there's like a big house and it's snowing and there are loads of Christmas trees. Um, it's got sparkle and glitter on it, which is excellent. Um, Everybody needs a bit of sparkle and glitter yeah, on their Christmas books. Yeah, if you don't like books. stop exactly. reading the book and come away with no glitter, oh, you've touched it too much. I may well have done. <laughs> it has been wrapped up in my scarf, so I may become yeah. a big glittery person now, which yeah, I'm very yeah, happy yeah. about. Um, oh, sorry. Uh, my... Uh, uh, nickname for Grace for a really long time was Darcy. <laughs> for a really long time. Wow! I yeah, looked down at the book school. and just saw the word Darcy Fitzwilliam, and I was just like, just like, "Oh wow. God, I'm War back in second backs. grade." <laughs> yeah. um, Good. Darcy Fitzwilliam simply doesn't have time to fall in love, but this Christmas, a kiss under the mistletoe will change everything. As a partner at a major New York hedge fund, Darcy's only serious relationship is with her work cell phone. The truth is, she's too busy being successful and making money to have time for romance or Christmas cheer. But this year, Darcy is coming home to Pemberley, Ohio, for the holidays. Pemberley, Ohio. Pemberley, Ohio. Amazing. (laughs) (laughs) There, she runs into her old neighbor and high school foe, foe, Luke Bennett, the oldest of five wayward brothers. Who has an actual foe at high school? Oh, 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 Queen Bees. Oh, Queen Bees, my friend. Oh, oh, okay, okay. Anyway. Um, I feel like uh, we're going to get another story today. <laughs> when Darcy's enmity, enmity with Luke is reopened, along with a hefty dollop of sexual chemistry, oh well, <laughs> sparks are wow. sure to fly. Can Darcy fall in love, or will her pride and Luke's prejudice against big city girls stand in her way? Uh, I can't wait. <laughs> I'm so excited. Yeah. This is Let's the, just go for it. Let's do it. Yep. Okay. I'm, I mean, looking at the cover, it looks like it oozes sexual chemistry. It really yeah. does. Yeah. No. This is. Um, That's yeah. exactly. first question. Is Pemberley, Ohio, real? No. Great. No. Okay. Well, actually, I, is, um, I'm, absolutely. I, the thing is, sorry, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I haven't checked. Right. I'm pretty sure it isn't, given that Pemberley is the name of the house 
yeah. uh, in Pride and Prejudice, mm. um, and it, it just for that fits. reason, I could totally believe that it is. Ex- <laughs> it does exist. That's it's a town of like four hundred people. Yeah, exactly. Um, now, so uh, I'm going to preface this with a with a, uh, a slight caveat uh, in that I have read Pride and Prejudice once at school uh, and thought it was like Stonehenge, an ancient thing that I kept being told was terribly impressive and clever, uh, an amazing representation of what life was in another age and all of that kind of thing, uh, but that I was completely unable to relate to. So, <laughs> surely it's just a heap of old stones. Why would I be interested? Um, so, uh, th- that I, and I never had any sort of real idea of what it was that it represented or anything like that. Um, since then, I've watched a couple of adaptations. The, there's the BBC one, there's the Kira Knightley one, and I think there might have been another one as well. Um, uh, but so, I don't really have any proper idea of what the events were in the novel. Mm. So, what I'm not going to be able to specifically do is tell you how much they sort of line up with each other, I don't know how much like, how much this is an adaptation and how much it's sort of true to the original text, um, because the only other oh, yeah that was the other one is uh, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking I'm hoping it's not as close like it's not closer to that than it is to the original, but we'll, <laughs> as I say I don't really know so perhaps if my uh, fellow presenters could uh, remind oh, me no of anything understood yeah. I, I didn't imagine that you would G but like. <laughs> Yeah, so anyway, yes. So uh, basically, I hope that this is quite close to the original because in which case it's uh, the... The feeling of it is that if you were going to update uh, Pride and Prejudice and well, Pride and Prejudice for the modern day, this would be quite an interesting way of doing it. And particularly because uh, Pride and Prejudice is so very, very English, then the idea of having an American version of it, mm. I would be interested to see what the mm. the compare and contrast and stuff. Look. Yes, you've forgotten a very important ad- modern adaptation of Pride and Prejudice. Go on, Bridget Jones. Fair point. Yeah. <laughs> Fair point. Which I must confess, I've not watched or read. That's all right. Shame on me. Oh well. Um, right. So anyway, let's let's Sorry. let's I, find. I thought, you know, Good that point. It's really that it's an important modern touch. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm. Okay, so we we dive in uh, to chapter one. Um, Darcy Fitzwilliam, for to she, uh, she is the hero of our uh, heroine of our well uh, of of the novel. Um, she is returning home. Uh, through the snow in uh, a chauffeur-driven car, though she really doesn't want to and is very nervous. Her mother is sick and her father is disapproving. Um, <laughs> she hasn't been home in eight, in eight years because she finds Christmas and her family too difficult to deal with. Um, as a side note, I found out, like, uh, apparently a lot of people recognise this. I really don't. And I was somebody, I, I don't drink now, uh, but even when I used to drink, I never spent, spent Christmas inebriated. Mm-hmm. I told, I've told quite a lot of people this and they look at me like I've grown a second head. They go, how can you possibly? Like, surely being drunk is the only good thing about Christmas. And I'm like, no. Everything else, surely. Anyway, um, so, yeah, she works so hard in New York that Christmas is a freebie day that means being able to start drinking martinis at 10 in the morning and keeping going, yes, and keeping on going until uh, returning to work the next day. She couldn't remember the last time she'd spent uh, a Christmas with anyone. Uh, She's given compliments and sage advice by the uh, chauffeur, Edward, uh, as she is driven home from the airport. And the first character she meets is Lord. Shepherd, the elderly housekeeper who almost raised her. Um, her description of herself, this is Darcy, uh, at 29, and as partner of the second most successful hedge fund in NYC, she didn't look a day over 24. Her slender, heart-shaped face boasted elegantly chiselled cheekbones, big, stormy grey eyes shuttered by naturally long lashes, <laughs> and a perfectly pouty set of pale pink lips. I wish Darcy was described this way in the original. <laughs> That's what I mean! <laughs> Oh, this is the thing. I mean, to be, to be honest, yeah. I, I, that 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 uh, you know, illustration d- description is to me almost.
almost pornographic. As in, like, it's completely surface. All it is about how she looks, and the fact that she's the second, you know, it has nothing to do with her being the second most successful hedge fund manager. Mm-hmm. But she briefly considers getting the um, getting her lips plumped but then realised she has much more important things on her mind. <laughs> the real question for Darcy was not to plump or not to plump. Oh, God. Uh, no, 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 but the thing is, this is the thing. It's how it's say written. Say that again? Exactly. The real question for Darcy was not to plump or not to plump, but how it's written is not to plump or not to plump. <laughs> <laughs> right. So okay. it started brilliantly. <laughs> so she, the real question for Darcy was not to plump or not to plump. No, it was something far less simple and far more troubling. I would argue with the fact that that's simple, but anyway. <laughs> C. It, it, literally, it says C. C. It is a truth universally acknowledged that any beautiful, brilliant, single woman who is rich as hell will be in want of a husband. She'd heard it time and again. No. Now, a couple of notes on that. First of all, that isn't actually a question, but a truth. So, <laughs> but let's—that's—that's that's neither here nor there. But also, I compared. Um, uh, plus, I compared Pride and Prejudice to a Neolithic monument. So, I'm not going to get pedantic about what people actually mean. <laughs> and also, the thing is that, if I remember rightly, is supposed to be at the start. Yeah. Yeah. Of, and it's one of the most famous lines in literature. Mm-hmm. So, she includes it in there. This Melissa mm-hmm. Delacruz. Mm-hmm. Um, Just in case you've read Pride and Prejudice. This is what I'm. This is what I'm imagining. Um, so yes. Yeah, so this is this is how she sets it up. Uh, so then she gets home. Uh, her mother is in bed and resting after having had a heart attack. Uh, her husband advises her uh, to not have so many bignet. I think is what they're called, which is a French. Bignette. Is it? Bignet. Yeah. Uh, a French term for a sugar-coated fritter. Uh, and this is also a woman who apparently uh, has been a lifelong smoker and somehow manages to make drinking Belvedere vodka at 10 in the morning look glamorous. Mm. So it's, I, I can see why she might have had some kind of health problem. For her, is it just Christmas every day? <laughs> to, to be honest, yes. And I, yeah, yeah. She doesn't even need to wish for it. Not really. Nope. Exactly. And also, they, they live in this... Well, hang on. Um, sorry, she is enlivened by Darcy returning and the prospect of 200 people turning up for the annual Fitzwilliam Christmas party. And a quote from her, You didn't think we had all these decorations? strung up just for ourselves, did you? It's like, no, so you can show exactly how rich you are to everybody else? I think the thing is that, that better? I think the thing that I'm most looking forward to in this novel is when Darcy realises that her career is um, is much less important than family and love. Mm. Like, Absolutely. That is the thing that I'm... This is the crux. Oh, this right. is the crux that's happening. I think you're judging it. I think it's going to gonna... take a different tack. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Let's see. Yeah. Darcy agrees to come to the party, even though she can't imagine anything worse. She isn't prepared and doesn't have anything to wear, to which her father says, you're Darcy Fitzwilliam, go to Bloomingdale's, which apparently is only about a mile away. Um, uh, he also offers... To have the housekeeper show Darcy where her room is. Well, it has been quite a long time since you've been here, uh, which is a jab of swifty and subtlety at the fact that she hasn't been home for eight years. Um, That's aggressive, much? A little bit. Uh, we then move on to chap- chapter two. Uh, the house apparently looms not unlike a luxury ocean liner and is filled. Do the chapters have titles? No. No. Okay. Yeah, nothing, nothing. So I know, the, again, a, a missed thing. opportunity. Exactly. I, I think the naming conventions are clearly so strong. Yeah. Yes, um, that she didn't need yeah. to. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, chapter one, chapter two, that works. Um, the house apparently looms not unlike a, a luxury ocean liner and is filled with ice blue damask wallpaper, shimmering lametta, uh, navy sateen, childhood bedrooms on marble landings that overlook an Olympic-sized swimming pool with an, in, with an infinity waterfall going into a clear blue hot tub. <laughs> Darcy reconnects with her childhood in this 
these surroundings, mm. uh, which seems to have consisted of wi- winning ac- academic honours, debates and competitions in and out of school, plus reading her favourite childhood books, The Great Gatsby, Atlas Shrugged, Sense and Sensibility, War and Peace, and so many more. Now, those are definitely childhood books by any stretch of the imagination, very definitely. Um, She contemplates how sad she would be if her mother had uh, died and how her father um, has cut her off from her inheritance because she didn't want to marry her high school boyfriend, Carl, who was a skin of another family called the Donovans in uh, Pemberley, Ohio. And you just have to say, oh, he's one of the Donovans, and everyone knows what you mean. It's one of those kind of setups. Oh, wow. They were obviously meant for each other, but instead she breaks up with him for the dozenth time and goes on to become a partner of Montrose, Montrose and Fitzwilliam in New York and doesn't come back until now. A therapist talks about self-love and going easy on oneself, something Darcy knew almost nothing about. Um, she falls asleep in her clothes and is woken by the housekeeper. She quickly changes into Kate Spade pyjamas to show that she's not the sleep-deprived workaholic that she is. That is another genuine quote from, <laughs> from the book. Um, she then tells the housekeeper that she really didn't have to bring the silver breakfast tray with a sprig of honeysuckle and a pot of <laughs> coffee on it because nothing really says uh, equality like telling the servant they don't have to do their job. <laughs> uh, the housekeeper then reassures her that she isn't insensitive. She mistakenly call, uh, Darcy mistakenly calls her mother lucky to have had a heart attack and herself a cold-hearted bitch. Mm. Um, and so uh, Lorna, Lorna very, very sweetly says, no, 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 you're not insensitive. Don't even think that calling your mother lucky because she had a heart attack is insensitive at all. You obviously didn't mean it. Um, uh, and that she must go to the party, even if her mother isn't going to, to reconnect to the people that love her and the place that she came from. Which is New York. And Anyway, <laughs> um, we then move on to chapter three. Uh, Darcy attends the party in a herve leger dress, which is just the right amount of provocative. Because mm-hmm. everyone loves her so much, so she needs to be provocative to them to make sure they love her more. I don't know. Yeah. But um, then Bingley turns up, mm. who is her gay, her gay best friend. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I was waiting. I was yep. waiting for the homophobic <laughs> stuff to come up. Absolutely. There always is. Uh, <laughs> Uh, she also meets uh, Chris Mayfair, who was her first kiss, among other firsts. We're just left with that. I don't know what it's supposed to mean. Uh, at high school. And his wife, who has a huge diamond ring on her finger and who are having their fourth child. And reassure her that everyone is very impressed that she left home and become so successful and is the only one not living off da- daddy's dollar. Because um, they're all very happy doing that. And they're obviously very impressed that she's not doing that. But they're perfectly happy doing that and, and producing children and stuff like that. Uh, then that is the entirety of chapter three. We then move on to chapter four, where we are introduced to James, uh, engaged to Michelle, and William. Uh, sorry, James 21, engaged to Michelle, and William 17, who has a girlfriend, who are her brothers. Uh, then, um, uh, then we get introduced more properly to Bingley. Uh, Did he just live off daddy's wallet? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you um, intend to do anything? No, I think one of them is... I now can't honestly remember, I'm ashamed to say, but uh, I think one of them is training to be a doctor. They all went to Ivy League universities. Of course. That's, that's yeah. for damn sure. Um, that's mostly for decoration, though, I think. I'm the Ivy. social elite. Yeah, well, exactly. Oh, yeah. Yes, completely. Yeah. Um, I, can't but, remember fit, I can't remember Darcy having brothers. No, none. Fairly no. specifically. And yeah. so his name is William Fitzwilliam. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> wow. Nice. Oh, it's like it's like love. Love. <laughs> well, and also what I love is the fact that um, uh, they're called Fitzwilliam, which I presume Melissa Delacruz was like, oh, that's a very, very posh name. Fitzwilliam means illegitimate son of somebody else called William. It specifically <laughs> meant that the family was descended from bastards. <laughs> <laughs> like, seriously, which I, 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 a wonderful irony, but nevertheless. Um, so I'm finding but, the, 
the free world, don't they? Yeah. Depending, yeah. yes, yeah. exactly. Darcy and Pride and Prejudices, Fitzwilliam Darcy. I didn't know that. Mm. Oh, so they've just swapped. They just swapped the names around. Wow. Mm. God, the, the, the time they must have thought, and the time yeah, they must have like, taken. Oh, how can we make this work? <laughs> so, yes, so uh, Chris had been model handsome. Bingley is movie star handsome. Mm. They banter back and forth, insulting each other like only really good friends can. He is then mm. set up with a school teacher called Jim Bennett by virtue of tripping on a pottery barn acorn and, sp- and spilling some eggnog on this school oh teacher. Oh, my God. The last thing, that, the last things that Jim cares about are status, luxury, and vindication, which is why Bingley and he are such a good um, comparing. But these three things are also the pillars on which Darcy thrives. Again, a direct quote. Um, yeah, status, luxury, and vindication. That makes her sound like such a wonderful person. The Bingley Jim thing sounds so much like a, a gender bent fan fiction, but yes, I'm so surprised right, I exactly. haven't read it. Yes. <laughs> like, I'm sure, exactly. But, it's, but it means that I, I really did think that this wasn't going to have anything like positive about uh, um, any kind of alternative things. But this here, you know, it's completely, you know, it's fine now. Um, <laughs> chapter five. We then meet Luke Bennett. Jim's brother, who is real-life person handsome, as opposed to movie star or model handsome, and a carpenter. This well, kid thought about different types of handsome. <laughs> a carpenter at Christmas. Oh, I can't no. see any connection here at all. At least it's not Easter. Oh, exactly. Oh, yeah. Um, this gives him muscles that makes him that make him both arrogant and incomparably sexy because he because he actually makes things with his hands, and he thought and he thought that that made him better than everyone else. And Darcy hated that. Um, she hated that he had this power over her. I don't know what this... The power of having muscles is apparently what is the real problem. Um, the power of making things. Yes. Like oh, God. my God. Well, yes. <laughs> exactly. They have, uh, they have uh, a very similar uh, bitchy, banterish conversation uh, that she and Bingley had, uh, but then she realises that this time she's just being mean and drunk, but can't leave the conversation. <laughs> She can't leave the conversation, particularly after he says, Who do you think you are, Kate Middleton? To which she says, Kate Middleton is just a social climbing puppet, if you ask me. And it's like, there's a lot to unpack (laughs) there. But okay. Yeah, exactly. She's got some work to do to unpack some of the internalised misogyny that she's dealing with. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot. Oh, no, 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 but she's, she's going on her own, so she's a feminist. That is how it works. That is totally yeah. how it works. Yeah, if you if you work and also if you drag everyone around d- or down. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's that's that that's exactly exactly. Mm. So he calls her a snob, and this carries on until she looks up and realizes there is mistletoe above them. <laughs> After some negotiating about who uh, who wants to do it the least, they kiss because well, it's a tradition. <laughs> That's, that is how mistletoe works. Absolutely, because you've got to kiss anyone who's underneath the mistletoe, whatever they are. It's just you know, oh, uh, um, this completely blows her mind. He gives her a quick peck. This sends shivers down her spine, <laughs> uh, and she then sets her drink down and kisses him passionately, all the while shouting at herself that she can't believe she's doing this. This is interrupted by. Carl Donovan, the reason she is estranged from her father and who she has been secretly dating on and off whilst in New York. So she's estranged herself from her father because she didn't want to get married to this guy, but then as soon as she Sorry. goes to New to New York to try and get away from her father and all the chaos that she's caused, she then starts dating the same bloke on and off. This right. is this is yeah, this is what's happening. That makes sense. Doesn't it? Good life choices. And yeah. and she's doing this despite the fact that he still just wants to get married. And that they've been dating on and off because he keeps getting a bit too intense for her and she keeps going, no, 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 you're going to give me time to think. Oh, um, no, she's yeah. so bad. <laughs> she assures Carl that she, can, that she can kiss anyone she wishes they are not dating and she doesn't need any help up the stairs, thank you very much. <laughs> Do we like Carl? 
Is he a dick? Uh, well, it depends. Versus her, no, he's absolutely wonderful. <laughs> but he is the uh, the acme of privilege. Mm. Right. There's there's a lot of, oh my dear, let me help you, and things like that, which in any, like, unless it's done absolutely perfectly, is just creepy. He mm. does it absolutely perfectly, I assume because Melissa La Cruz is like, no, he needs to be a perfect gentleman. Yeah. And that feels slightly yeah. like that's... I can imagine at the early stage in the book, mm. he's very like likable and that sort of thing. And then conveniently later on, when oh. she's sure that she's in love with someone else, he becomes very overpowering in that way. That sort of tends to be how these things... No, understood. The thing is, he never actually becomes overpowering. Interesting. He's just really nice like the entire mm. way through. Yeah. I mean, he never stops being the epitome of privilege, but... Mm. Um, anyway, so we move on to chapter six. She and Carl meet the next day for coffee and a chat. She wakes up very hungover and, uh, you know, puffy-eyed and things like that, but thinks, no, no, I need to go and talk to him because we never have a, a proper talk about this. Uh, she said that she needed a week to think about this two months ago. She remembers how... She still remembers how he slept with Kate Smith during junior year... I don't know whether that's junior year at university or at high school. Um, it, it's 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 a fairly long time ago, more than a decade, I presume it must have been. Um, uh, uh, but when he got really drunk at a party and uh, they slept together, and he then came from having slept with this girl, climbed up through Darcy's window, really oh, really God. drunk, and just desperately apologised to her without actually telling her what he did, and then passed out on the floor. <laughs> the next day they went to school together, and everyone was looking at her. Looking at her, looking at her, until eventually, in fourth period, she grabbed him by the arm and went, Why is everyone looking at me? And so he then spills his guts, go, I'm really sorry, I actually slept with um, Kate Smith. And uh, I'm really, really sorry, is there anything I can do to get you back? And she went, No, 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 don't worry, it's fine. People make mistakes. But at that moment, any love that she had had for him went out. <laughs> kept on dating for like two years. But. Sorry, they kept dating for two years. Yep. Then. She decided, no, I don't want to marry this guy. Yes, and, that, and this is the guy she's again dating, dating now. And, up. and okay. also at right. this at this point, because this is all flashbacks. Because then she goes and have coffee with him, and Carl gives her an ultimatum. Oh, he says, <laughs> "Marry or never date me again." And he needs to know by Christmas, which is four <laughs> days away. So it's not that much of an ultimatum, but he mm-hmm. he has delivered the ultimatum. Uh, we then move on to chapter seven. Uh, Carl leaves. Darcy has a slight panic uh, about the phone call she is supposed to be doing for work, but then runs into Jim and Bingley, who have spent the night together at a hotel, even though they both have mansions in <laughs> the town. But it would be too weird to go and sleep with each other in a, in a thing, so they're going to have to do it off in a... Yeah. Because being is gay that, is illegitimate. Exactly. Yeah. And they yeah. wouldn't want to... Uh, the thing is that no one is allowed, like, uh, unless you're married, you're not really allowed to stay over at somebody's parents' mm. house, because that's, you know, living in sin. So good knows what they would think about a gay couple. Yeah. I mean, the whole place would burst into hellfire, one would assume, but who knows? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but yes, yeah, so she runs into Jim and Billy, who spent the night together at a hotel, are ludicrously happy, and invites her to go caroling. She returns to her house, thinks about the mistaken mistletoe kiss, and decides to ignore work. She goes to the Bennett house, because this is where Jim Bennett is, and where the caroling is going to start. Um... Uh, and runs into the kisser, uh, the mistletoe kisser, Luke, with his two teenage twin younger brothers, who were a, a pair of genuinely vile stereotypes. <laughs> they are, they're dressed in sort of, uh, one of them's got a big t-shirt which just says Thrasher on it, which is dripping blood. And he's like, yeah, this is what I wear for Carolyn. <laughs> uh, and the other one is just wearing completely black and is like, no, this is how I dress. <laughs> 
uh, and she does it, Melissa does everything she can to make them seem like the most unpleasant pair of people I'm like these are the people I like most so far they're actually got their own personality and, you know, and I'm trying to rebel against something um Yes, yeah, so then the carol singing starts and Darcy has a long mental rant about how nonsensical the 12 days of Christmas is as a song. But as it was from the 1880s, they didn't know any better. <laughs> this despite the fact that the song is from 1909 and it was only published in uh, 1780 as uh, in English. Previous to that, it was a French song that was only ever meant as a, chil- a childhood rhyme. So it wasn't supposed to make any sense in the first place. <laughs> no, 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 she knows that it was like it just... Yeah. I mean, as far as Christmas songs not making sense. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. A partridge in a pear tree is not the weirdest thing. So the last last caroling is done They go around like three houses And it's really bad Because apparently no one can sing But it's just something that you do anyway um, so the, but the last caroling is at the Fitzwilliam mansion and Luke uh, manages to get everyone to go there basically by challenging uh, Darcy to go surely you want to go there because um, your, your parents will be really impressed and she goes alright I think that's a really good idea I think they will <laughs> expecting her mum to be asleep and her dad to be really angry and therefore because of that she's going to get one up on Luke I don't know why mm. I don't know how but that's apparently how it works in her head mm. um, it's so, just drunk through all of this well yes <laughs> that's far in the book she's been 99% drunk I think um, when, her, when, when they do get there her dad is drunk and happy to see them and invites everyone in for eggnog which apparently is the drink of the thing but then uh, oh, it's Christmas Oh, yes, I yeah. suppose so. But anyway, um, Darcy has her fifth drink. Uh, Luke realises he's standing under the mistletoe again. Oh, God. And she says, you're so, you're so childish, before grabbing him by the collar oh, and no. kissing him violently on the mouth. And it says violently. That's... <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, it just, it's amazing. So then, chapter eight. Darcy awakes again, hungover and regretful again. Um, she realises... Sorry, she, do we have any in, uh, indication of like how Luke feels about yeah, being kissed under the mistletoe violently? Violently. By a very, very drunk woman. <laughs> she yeah. realises she is in bed with Luke. Oh, God. So you don't see it? Well... He says, he says that they didn't do anything, although she made it very clear that she wanted to. I did not, she says. Then how did we get up here? He, sa- uh, he says, I don't know, Luke. I was wasted, is what she says. Very healthy conversation. It yeah. carries on a little bit more like this. He was obviously a complete gentleman and basically had to carry her up the stairs and put her to bed and then didn't leave because he was... Because perfect gentlemen don't leave. I don't know. But anyway, um, Darcy says that she has work to do, gets him out of the house and goes to tell Bingley how much of a jerk this man is. <laughs> obviously. Yep. She blames the eggnog and decides that what she really needs is a night in with Bingley. She gets him to do this by cancelling his dinner plans with Jim Bennett, who has barely left his side since they realised that they were both gay in a Midwestern town. Bingley rings Jim and says he is ill and so therefore can't come to dinner. Then Darcy decides they should go out dancing. They get very dressed up. There is a very long and involved uh, thing, which I actually quite enjoyed, which was the thing of... Um, Darcy asks the housemaid to go and get the spare outfits. So this is, this is clothes that they happen to have, which are extremely expensive, that don't belong to anyone in the house. It's just in case anyone needs an outfit when they arrive and they don't have one. Is that a rich people's equivalent of a lost and found box? Yes! <laughs> but none of it's lost, because they just buy it all and go, I don't need this, we can give it to some other poor sack who doesn't oh have a £5,000 jacket. It's a fancy dress box. Yeah, basically. Okay. Um, yeah, so they get very dressed up and go to the only club in the village, but it's shut for filming. Oh, oh no. no. Four days before Christmas as well. That's definitely going to happen. <laughs> filming what? I don't know. It doesn't I say. want that story. Tell me that story. <laughs> That's such a random thing. <laughs> but no, but what it means is so that they can go to the Starlight Tavern. 
Now the Starlight Tavern is because it's the only. It's the Why only. were they not just going there in the first place? I know. <laughs> and you don't dance in the Starlight Tavern. You just get drunk on twenty-one-year-old scotch. Or at least uh, that's okay. The, mm. Apparently that's the thing. So um, if uh, there's not a dance scene in the Starlight Tavern. I'm going to be disappointed. <laughs> well, no, so they go to the Starlight Tavern uh, and sit there having a bitch about how difficult everything is. Jim later enters and sees that Bingley isn't so sick after all. I'm very oh, drunk on twenty-one-year-old scotch. Um, and then has a serious sense of humour failure. Bingley runs after him, decrying Darcy for a meddling fool, because it was totally her fault. Um, afterwards, and sorry, I'm, being, I'm not. That's totally true. That was her yeah. going like, I think you're both moving too fast. Mm. Uh, I think you need to cancel the runs with him and come out with me, because that'll be much better. And they then go off to the Starlight Tavern. It's all balance between he agreed, but also. She did manipulate, so you know. This is this is the thing. Yeah. However, at the same time, there's a lot of things where he goes. I don't usually think that he, he says to Darcy. So Bingley says to Darcy, "I don't think you're a very good judge of what a good relationship is." But in this case, <laughs> I think you're right. Oh my god! <laughs> so in this one plot driven po- uh, 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 point, yeah, she, yeah. He, he decides to agree with it. <laughs> um, afterwards, Darcy is about to go home when Luke Bennett comes in with Charlotte, his newly bereaved fiancée who he had been dating on and off also, but now has decided he's serious about. We then move on to chapter 10. <laughs> what? Uh, hang on, see that last bit again? So, uh, um, afterwards, Darcy is about to go home. She's very drunk again. She's about to go home when Luke Bennett, the, the mistletoe kisser, comes in with Charlotte, his newly beringed fiancée, who, who he has also been dating on and off, but now has decided he's really serious about. So right. he, he was kissing her... Underneath the mistletoe. When he was... Dating. Had a very serious relationship. Uh, yes. Well, on again, off again, in the same way that Darcy's on again, off again. On again, off, off again enough to... Already have a wedding ring. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. prepared to propose. Mate, rich people, they've just got rings lying around. This <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, uh, one was... I don't know, great grand. Do you want yeah. that? Yeah. Uh, uh, wedding. the spare engagement ring. <laughs> The 15 carats, we don't need the box of engagement rings. The Bennets aren't rich, though. They're like carpenters. Yeah, Yeah, this is the thing. Is it a wooden ring? No, no. It's it's got a very large diamond on it. And also, the the Bennets are less uh, fancy than the Fitzwilliams. They do still live in a mansion. We don't need to feel Uh, that sorry. I see. Okay. Okay. Um, So, we then move on to chapter 10. Darcy goes back home and decides to watch the Gilmore Girls whilst considering that she. Whilst considering that she really shouldn't mind about Luke Bennett. Oh, God, this could so be a Gilmore Girls spin-off. I know! <laughs> so, yes, while considering that she really shouldn't mind about Luke Bennett, is bathing in floods of nostalgia about him in high school, and then realises, after looking at her yearbook, that she actually has been really attracted to him the whole time. Wait, wait, they went to high school together? Yes. Oh, okay, I thought yes. they were strangers. No, oh, no, no, no. God. no, okay. no. They were, you only find out that they're high yeah. school buddies now. Uh, oh. And also, as it says, they were bitter foes. Uh, so oh, he was always against yeah. her in the debates mm. and uh, you know, made her feel really bad about herself because he said, he said she was a snob and all of that kind mm. of thing and that she was mm. so much better than everybody. So she then goes, well, I don't feel better than everybody. You feel better than everybody, which is really... Mm. Wow. Yeah. Make sure we're on the debate team, eh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really lucky. Um, um, what what what's her job again? Oh, hedge fund manager, hedge the fund second manager. biggest hedge no, fund sorry, th- in New York. Yeah. I thought it was lawyer for a second. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. She's a hedge fund manager. She's just good with numbers. That rebuttal, like, oh, yeah, 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 really. Um, no, your mum. Yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> So she's actually been really attracted to him the whole time. And then, <laughs> this is another quote. 
when she had been drunk, she could see this clearly. That, that, though he might, that though he might seem simple, he actually carried with him the secret to easy living, to pure living, and that's why she kissed him. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what the secret is, it doesn't elucidate. <laughs> but that apparently was why she kissed him, which is obviously... Right. And it had nothing to do wow. with the alcohol at all. Um, so she awakes the next morning, very hungover again, not quite as regretful this time, but it's close, uh, and she is summoned to the dining room. But before that, she sits at the vanity to put on her best face. And, mm. and there's so many layers to that, I don't even, I don't even go there. Butler, bring the spare face. Well, <laughs> yeah. it's not Nicolas Cage. <laughs> I want to tear my face off. Um, at the dining table, her youngest brother William tells everyone that she kissed Luke at the Christmas party. Her father is somewhat peeved because he had heard that things were going very well, uh, were going very well again between her and Carl. Darcy rejects this and has a rant about being able to kiss anyone under the mistletoe. Anyone under the mistletoe, she damn well pleases. Why do we even care who Darcy marries? Says Kenneth, the eldest. Uh, says Kenneth, the eldest brother. James is marrying an heiress to the largest chocolate company in America. I'm married to an actual Nobel Prize winner in medicine, and William is dating the Kellogg girl. I think we've got it covered. <laughs> All of these people. <laughs> it's amazing. I mean, I just... It's, oh, oh, no. It is, it is absolutely stunning. Yes. William, it is then revealed, and this is the reason why they all got gathered into the dining room in the first place, has got into Harvard! Yay! Yay. <laughs> uh, which was the reason for the familiar gathering, rather than anything to do with Darcy. But Darcy is sure that it's still all to do with her. Uh, Darcy resents this a bit. They've all been to Ivy League universities, and she got into Columbia. What's the big deal? Then her mother says that the doctor has given her, the mother, a clean bill of health after the heart attack. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. And so they all, and so they all start drinking Dom Perignon. Excellent. <laughs> Obviously. And eating beignet. Yes, exactly. And her beignet. father, and the, the father, then says, oh, "I think you'd probably better slow down a bit." No, I'm celebrating. It's the annual. Anyway. And um, then she dies. <laughs> well, it's Christmas as well, which is a very stressful time. Yes, exactly. Lots of people have heart attacks at that time. Completely. Well, exactly. And then Bingley uh, texts and gives her an out because Jim has just broken up with him. Well, they uh, I didn't realise they were dating. They'd they been just... dating for all of three days. Oh, I see. Oh. This, was, this was the thing. So it's the hotel. Yeah, they'd basically never, neither of them had ever been happier. And then Darcy's, Darcy's suggestion was, okay, maybe slow it down a bit. Maybe don't see each other 24 hours of every day. Mm. And so come out with me dancing. Mm. That was that was her that mm. was her feeling. So uh, chapter eleven. When Darcy arrives, Bingley has tried to get drunk by downing everything in the house, which is two miniature bottles of Kahlua. Mm. That's it. In an entire mansion. Anyway, what? I know rubbish house. Rubbish. <laughs> yeah. um, Darcy then decides uh, to take him to see Jim and fix everything. Oh, yes. It worked really well when she interfered last time. Absolutely. Yeah. So she's got to fix it because it was her fault last time, mm-hmm. although she didn't say that. Um, they walk, realise it's too cold, so they take an Uber. Then Darcy throws a stone. <laughs> yeah. Darcy throws a stone at what she's guessing is Jim's window. No, it's, it's Luke Bennett's house, right? <laughs> well, no, but Jim and Luke Bennett are brothers because they're both Bennett's. <laughs> That's, that's the thing. Okay, so she, do, she does some quite serious, window. like, yeah, she does some quite serious Sherlock Holmes in mm. because uh, um, she knows that the, I can't even remember how it goes. It's quite funny. She knows that that, that uh, um, it can't be it, the, the window that she throws the stone at can't be Jim's window because Jim would be too conscientious to leave the window open in the snow, um, and it's unlikely to be the the boys because they would have to have two windows next to each other which were the same. 
window. <laughs> windows <laughs> are always completely different along the front of a house. What? And also, yeah. windows exactly represent the people that live in the room. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can tell everyone by everything about everyone by their windows. Yeah, yeah me and me and my brother when we were growing up. Oh, windows mm. identical. Yeah, yeah, and you yeah. are completely identical. Mm. Yes, completely. Um, right. So, um, uh, where is it? Yes. Uh, what she guesses, Jim Window. It turns out to be correct. Jim throws out the window. Darcy says the whole misunderstanding was her fault, and Bingley and Jim pour their hearts out to each other in like a violently less eloquent Romeo and Romeo. Oh um, Jim decides to come down, and Darcy leaves, le- leaving a lingering look at what she knows must be Luke's window as the snow begins to fall. <laughs> <laughs> Chapter 12. Having tried to leave them alone to get some chocolate cake, Darcy is then whisked off by the happy pair, who are suddenly very much together again and mm. want to congratulate her for being matchmaker. <laughs> they seem really emotionally stable. <laughs> so they then, I like them. They, they then decide to whisk her off uh, to go ice skating. Uh, whilst there, they run into Carl. And Darcy decides... <laughs> there's a line in it which is something along the lines of um, Darcy could not believe how unlikely and ridiculous this whole meeting was and it's like I don't think it is <laughs> have you read the rest of the book <laughs> they run or into- contrived well contrived that's a good word I hadn't thought of that but yes whilst they run into Carl uh, sorry whilst there they run into Carl and Darcy decides they need to have a proper talk about Carl's ultimatum this leads her to say that he was her first love and that she wants to be with him now Carl then gets down on one chilly knee Ooh. on the ice rink and proposes to her with a ring that he has in his pocket. Yeah. That's what happens. Ring. Yeah, gotta have it. Um, the joy of this being only slightly sullied when Jim, having been told of the events, says how her, his brother Luke will be so disappointed because he's always had a bit of a crush on Darcy. But only like a schoolgirl crush, but, you know. He's just proposed to his girlfriend. <laughs> oh, God. Yep. Jim just had to mic drop that in there just to (laughs) grenade that whole uh, whole situation everyone says how this doesn't matter in a slightly too shrill way (laughs) and uh, the newly betrothed couple leave to tell Darcy's parents Darcy realises like never before how much Jim looks like Luke and thinks that she will be haunted by this for years to come. So she's going to be haunted by the fact that she's So her best friend's boyfriend looks a bit like a guy she used to fancy. This is going to haunt her for years. <laughs> Absolutely incredible. So, chapter 13. The parents and couple go to a very posh restaurant to decide things about the wedding. It will happen next summer in Pemberley, obviously. Uh, Darcy because she suddenly has a bit of a hang on this I'm not sure this is what I want uh, just wonders if it could be in New York this surprises everybody else as does the amount of wine she drinks but everyone is willing to compromise as long as she's happy and this means going to places like the plaza and um, the boathouse in New York mm. apparently those are very impressive places I've got no idea mm. Uh, we then move on to chapter 14. So that was an entire chapter. It was just them going to a very posh restaurant and wondering about weddings. Um, so chapter 14. Darcy and, and Carl spend the night together. Uh, Carl is very overexcited about this because essentially they're living in sin by doing this. <laughs> During their clumsy dalliance, the, the, she gets uh, um, an earring hooked in his jumper. It's, uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, things like that. All Darcy can think about is Luke. Uh, having decided previously that she would be going back to New York for work the next day and to view the wedding venues at the boathouse and the plaza, she leaves without waking Carl and leaves him a note saying, see you there, I'll, let, I'll keep you updated on the plaza. <laughs> but she just leaves uh, and gets onto the thing. She almost immediately admits to the sage-like chauffeur who is taking her take to the airport, Edward, who you may remember from the first chapter. Yeah. Who is... Uh, Played by Morgan Freeman? Yes. 
Yes. <laughs> oh, Edward. Well, just tell you. No, I'm not going to do that. Um, uh, yeah, so Edward, who knows her so well, uh, he tells her she isn't in love with Carl. Uh, sorry, um, she tells him immediately that she isn't in love with Carl, and they agree to go to the Bennett house to see Luke and say something before she leaves. Because that's definitely going to go well. Mm. That's definitely the person she should tell. Yeah, right now, about how she's feeling. Right now, before she leaves Pemberley, because yeah. he's never going to come back again and going to get married. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah she gets there in the rain. It dampens her hair. This is said as if she's, you know, just had a major <laughs> boo to her artery. But uh, you know, it, it dampens oh, her. Is it going to go off, Rizzy? Yeah, possibly. I don't know. I mean, my God, I dread to think. But yes. Um, so yeah, the Bennett. <laughs> I love this. The Bennett house smells of gingerbread and burning wood. It smells, <laughs> smells to Darcy like home. <laughs> okay. The Fitzwilliam household, which is much bigger and grander, but doesn't quite smell so good, smells chronically clean, like Clorex and artificial pine needles. Oh, my God. It's an amazing way to have your house. Anyway, um, she sees Jim, because uh, she gets into, she comes into the house, and she sees Jim at the bottom of the stairs, um, uh, who gets Luke. Darcy can't even get out with what she has to say before Luke rips into her for being such a selfish snob that she can't let anyone else be happy. This is actually one of the most effective rants in the entire book. Because mm. he's saying, what are you doing? Why are you here? This, is, this will affect nobody well except... No, in fact, it won't even affect you well. All you're doing is trying to destroy everything. What the hell is wrong with you? And she, she, she sort of is in utter shock and, and touches her face as if she's just been slapped. Because she can't believe that she that he thinks that she is the problem. <laughs> I didn't know she quite quite say that, but my God, it seems like that's what the what the problem is. Um, that she, yes, and that she needs to leave him alone, which is the most sensible thing that anyone has yeah. said up until this point. Mm-hmm. So we move on. Chapter fifteen. We find Darcy lying in bed in a New York penthouse apartment, lying un- lying underneath a three thousand dollar European goose down comforter mm. and ignoring texts from Jim Bingley her family and most especially Carl <laughs> even in her darkest hours she had never blamed herself or worried that she was the problem and suddenly Luke has revealed to her that this might be true <laughs> that's what she's really really worried about that she may be the problem <laughs> she decides to distract herself by going into work and on the way stops at Tiffany's pick up a present of a white gold and diamond necklace for her assistant, Millie. She's or- never done anything like this. The only other thing she's done, uh, she previously, uh, two years ago, wrote a birthday card for her on her birthday. This is a woman who tends to her every need pretty much 24-7. Oh and the fact that, that her boss is away in Pemberley for three days, this girl is still in the office doing all the bits and pieces there. Because she rings what? up the office and goes, oh yes, no, I've been here the entire time. She hasn't taken a day off. It's now two days before Christmas. Oh my God. So she decides to buy her a Tiffany necklace and that's going to make everything okay. Is this turning into Scrooged? Well, exactly. Um, So she wishes to atone. The poor assistant is flabbergasted enough by the gift to reveal Darcy's nickname in the firm is Darcycuda. As in Barracuda. Darcycuda. (laughs) They couldn't find any other pun that worked at all. That's really bad. That's really bad. But but luckily, Darcy already knows this and forgives her. (laughs) It's almost like get down and kiss my ring. Please, you know, that whole kind of bishop thing. Anyway, um... Yeah, uh, the joy and fulfilment she gets from this interaction with her assistant really surprises her. She never would have thought that interacting with somebody like this could really, <laughs> you know, make her feel good about herself. The assistant then turns around. Interacting with the plebs. Exactly, basically. 
Um, because she's lesser, so therefore she's. Le- well, anyway. It's like charity, mate. <laughs> Which you know she she could, like commits a lot to charity, obviously. Um, but the assistant then has a present for her too. And it is a gradiated purple knitted scarf, which she's created herself. Oh, and she says that she's created something like this for Darcy each Christmas, but was too scared oh to give God. it to her. <laughs> Darcy oh then God. has the gall to be like, oh, thank you so much. I don't want the others. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! Half of me really wishes that this is the point where it becomes a lesbian like, yeah, rom com, yes. but then yeah, also yeah. I, don't I don't want. I want Millie to like yeah, get the fuck life. away from yes. her. Darcy doesn't deserve life. her. Yeah. Uh, Darcy and Carl then go to view the Plaza Hotel as a possible wedding venue. Darcy feels weird and is very short and perhaps a little bit unpleasant with the lady who's showing them around the hotel as a favour for her father. As in the only reason why they're even allowed to look round it because it's been booked up for years, uh, years ahead. But because they're the Fitzwilliams, they get to have a look round it anyway. And she's, I mean, yes, I was quoting then. She's a mega bitch to this poor woman. And for a while, the woman goes, "Okay, maybe if I send down my manager, he'll be able to talk through some figures with you." I'm a Fitzwilliam. Money doesn't matter. And she gets out a checkbook and starts waving it. Oh literally. my god! She starts waving it. So this strange energy leads Carl to sit them down for a drink and a conversation. Uh, he's coming to the conclusion that something is wrong. Because <laughs> he, oh, there's no flag on him. <laughs> Darcy is, thank God, called away for a phone call with Jim, who is telling her that Kit and Lyle, those two filthy reprobate younger brothers, who I thought she thought were quite interesting, um, have been, ex- uh, been caught vandalising their school and been expelled. He's telling her this because she asked him to keep her up to date with everything that was happening in Pemberley. So apparently he's going to ring her once every 24 hours to let her know when anything has happened at all. Who called? Sorry? Jim. Who called? Jim. Jim, Jim, the other half of Bingley, the okay. one who she thinks looks really like her brother and therefore fancies in a slightly weird way, I think. I, I hate I hate everything. <laughs> so, did, he did it, yes. Do you have any news about Luke? Uh, she says, how's Luke? Oh, he's fine. Um, oh, so <laughs> she asks. Yes, right. she asks, Worth. but they leave it at that. <sighs> So she comes back and Carl is a little suspicious and the conversation leads to her admitting her complicated feelings for Luke. And that's where the chapter ends. Chapter 16. She then awakes in the middle of the night, sweating and heart palpitating and knows that everything is wrong. So she gets up and writes a very apologetic note, breaking things off with uh, Carl and leaving in an envelope that says in big capital letters on the front, I'm sorry. Oh my God. Uh, she worries as she, the envelope doesn't say Carl. No, it says I'm sorry. A large letter. She then. I think you'll, you'll see that. She's like, well, I guess that's for me. me. <laughs> She's not here. It's so. probably the thing that she says most to him. So. Oh, wow. But also, well, this is what I love as well. As just as she's about to leave, she puts it down and thinks, "Oh God." I wonder if he's going to trash my apartment. He then rolls over and she goes, no, I've got to leave because even if he does trash the place, I can afford to replace everything. The one thing I've got to do, the one thing I've got to do is get out of here before I change my mind. Because he definitely won't just be like, well, I'll wait until she comes back. Exactly. So she needs to leave before she changes her mind. That's the most important thing. The thing that I that I think makes the least sense about this book so far, among lots of things. Yeah, you're going to have to work quite hard. Yeah, is that you mentioned at the beginning that she had a therapist. Yes. Yeah, right? <laughs> what has this therapist been doing? Telling her that she needs to love making herself. Making bank. Yeah, it's true. Well, yeah, yeah. making bank. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like, she has got so much work to do. Like. Yep. So, once back in Pemberley, because she 
flies straight back there on the red eye. I mean, it's only a two-hour flight, but apparently... <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, she texts Bingley and plans to go to his parents' house to hang out because, obviously, now that she's broken up with Carl again, this time when they were actually married, everyone is going to hate her and, therefore, she's gone right back to the place where everyone is who's going to hate her, but she's going to hide out in somebody else's house. Wait, they're married now, not just... No, 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 engaged. sorry, engaged, I beg your pardon, okay. right. I misspoke, I yeah, yeah, they, yeah. Are, they are engaged, but breaking yeah. up with somebody who's engaged with you is, is a lot worse mm. than... Oh, apparently, yeah. Well, yeah. It's, it's a lot. I know. Mm. Um, yes, so, uh, on the way back, she decides to do another good deed to convince herself that she is not the snob that Luke claims that she was. To, to do this, she goes to Kit and Lyle's school... This is the two reprobate boys. She goes to their school, uh, which she was the most, the foremost alumni of, and therefore she goes, well, I was the foremost alumni, so they're going to just give me whatever I want. <laughs> they, just, they just do what I say. Yeah, that's fine. That's and also, I've got money. Um, so it, that is how it works. It is, yeah, no, yeah. But this is the thing. But no, but she doesn't say that. She's like, well, I'll just see. I'll just see what happens. It turns out they are pretty serious delinquents. Crimes include, but not, um, uh, you know. Oh, not I'm looking forward to, to this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not limited to setting fire to a trash can and a schoolmate's shoes on different occasions, kidnapping twelve frogs from the science department, setting them loose in the school, yeah. being caught with illegal substances. They just leave that one there. <laughs> um, spray painting obscenities on the lockers, stealing test answers from their teacher, stick and poke tattooing each other oh during God. a maths class. <laughs> Yes. And multiple physical and mental alterations with uh, teachers and fellow pupils. I they, are, they really deserve what they were going to get. Yeah. Well, do the they? They, they just sound like normal yeah. people that might have been in a school. What kind of physical honestly? altercations are we talking about? Oh, they're, they're, they're beating people up. Oh, okay. It's made, yes, it's yeah, made yeah, very yeah. clear that that's what's, that's right, what's okay. happening. I'll give them all the other things. They're yeah, not just like yeah. alternative kids that like doing... Well, tattoos and stuff. I, yeah. I don't know, but, but, well, but the thing is that... Basically, they're fine other than they beat people. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Well, but, also, but also, then Darcy says, well, the thing is, if they do all of these things, we can't send them to Juvenile Hall, which is what would happen if they got expelled from the school, because they'll only get worse there. <laughs> so therefore, keep them in the school where they're causing all this chaos, because they don't deserve to have that inflicted on them. <laughs> what? Yeah, it's a really... Her, her reasoning doesn't make sense, I, I mean, at Again, all. throughout the whole, lawyer. yeah. Um, so yes, so Darcy decides to pay for all the damage that they have done and send them both to psychiatrists until they have finished school. So weekly she's going to send them both to psychiatrists. God knows how much that's going to cost. And then also she is going to get signed things from the psychiatrist that they both turned up. So she's going to do all of this. And it's basically, it's going to be like over a million dollars, I think, is she tops it up. It's going to be a million dollars that she is going to give to the school and then she's going to send them to psychiatrists for the rest of, for the rest of their school career. I guess at least, like, she's doing something that might actually support them and help them work through some of the stuff that mm. they're... Well, given her experiences, I'm not sure how much Yeah, maybe not, true. Yeah. 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 I'll send them to my psychiatrist. They do nothing. Although it does specifically say psychiatrist, not, like... Therapist, actually, yeah. you're right. It yeah, might be a different thing. Yeah, which is quite, like... Yeah, it might be a different... I don't know, exactly. I mean, so positive in as much as she is trying to do something good, mm. which, is, mm. which is positive. Darcy then goes to, the, uh, to Bingley's place uh, and discusses what to do then. She then faints from dehydration and cracks her head off the marble uh, front <laughs> table in the front room. Wait, what? Where did that come from? She faints from dehydration. She hasn't had anything to drink since she left uh, the, the flat that morning. No, in fact, it must have been from the previous night. So she'd been drinking no heavily. No martinis, nothing. Well, she'd like... been drinking heavily with Carl, Okay. went back, oh had this awful delight, and then uh, gets up very early in the middle of the night, gets a red-eye flight, 
goes and does this whole thing She's at the school. She's dehydrating. Mm. She, yeah. she, she goes and, and yeah, so she, she <laughs> fades from dehydration and cracks her head off the table in the front room. She awakes, sorry, this is chapter 17, she awakes in hospital and puts all her energies into trying to get out of there before her parents find out she's even in there. Oh my God. Because, she, you know, she's fine. She's, she's gone through this kind of stuff before. She says she thinks she might well, from what her mother's described to her, have had a few minor heart attacks herself, but she just powered on through because that's what the working woman does. Feminism. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. 29? Yep. Okay. Exactly. So this leads a very, very handsome... There's quite a lot of detail about how handsome the nurse is. I don't know why. (laughs) Uh, A very handsome nurse to reveal that her parents are, in fact, in the next room with Bingley. Which she sees as the most appalling betrayal. How could you bring my parents to me now when I'm in hospital? I'm genuinely surprised she didn't wake up with Luke holding her hand. Exactly. 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 Yeah. Uh, I'll give the book that. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I detract points. That's all I need from this book. That would have, like, taken me over the hill. <laughs> they come in, and instead of the blood and thunder she was expecting, there is a very large heart-to-heart. And her father, under the henpecking of his lovely wife, literally, she's going, go on, I've told you what to say. She literally says that. Um, she, uh, he explains that the only reason that he cut her off was in order to keep her close by. He wanted her to be with him always um, as his little girl and getting married into a local upper-class family was the easiest way he could think of of doing that. <laughs> Instead of communicating with no, her. No, 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 no. He's an old father figure. They uh, can't talk to yeah, him. Yeah, they can't do that. No, that would be weird. Just buy another pony. That old, man, old men can't talk about the feelings. No, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Especially not with their daughter. Exactly. He was always really impressed with his little girl and all of her achievements, but just couldn't find a way to tell her until she landed in hospital like this. Yep. Oh that's God. the time when you th- just when you thought you were going to lose her unlike when you lost her to anyway mm. um, yes so Darcy bursts into tears all the love and affection that's coming her way turns first- out it's fine yeah. <laughs> this is the first time she's cried in eight years now oh. she now she can do whatever she wants to and know that her father would always love her she realised that she could easily move back home from New York she only has she only has work virtually no social life and is financially set in New York so she could easily come home and be with her whole her family. Oh, Obviously, love her so much. So she can just give up on the family. She's retiring. Yeah, and she's, just get married, yeah. settle down. Because she's got no social life babies. at all. Yeah, that's exactly. Jobs are good. Absolutely. So, chapter eighteen. She goes back to her childhood room and is eating Rocky Road ice cream out of the tub. <gasps> I mean, that, from the, from the way it is described... So what about her figure? Yeah, exactly. It sounds as if she's got sort of 11, you know, greased units doing terrible things to each other. But uh, no, it's eating Rocky Road ice cream out of the tub. That's what's happening. And then Bingley comes in and tells her that the rehearsal dinner for Luke's wedding is tonight. Moved very, very far forward and the wedding is tomorrow. Darcy decides not to go. Has she been invited? Because no. <laughs> <laughs> if I was Luke, there's no fucking way. No, exactly. She definitely hasn't been invited. But Bingley goes, but I know he'd want you there. And she goes, you wake up. She goes no, I would only add stress, and that's not what one needs the night before one's wedding. It's like, oh, how magnanimous of you. Uh, an hour later, she's convinced herself otherwise and charges out. Oh, oh, good. She's yeah. dressed very fast. She's wearing a taupe dress. Can you imagine a taupe dress? Mm, yeah. Oh, I know. I don't even know what taupe is. Anyway, um, so that she can. So, but but the reason why she's going out is so that she can be magnanimous. Tell Luke that she has no hard feelings and therefore be a good friend to him. That's her reasoning. When she arrives at the restaurant, there's no one there. Oh my god! It's completely dark. 
And she thinks, no. Oh, no, the wedding's off. She, she's horrified that she might have missed the whole thing. Why didn't I check what the address was, she said. Just working that crime. Luke then appears out of the darkness to tell her that she didn't get the address wrong. He called off the wedding to Charlotte when he was rung up by Mrs. Walsh, the head of the school. Oh, my God. Who told him what she had done for his hoodlum brothers. <laughs> he called off his entire wedding, cancelled everything. <laughs> because a woman decided to ring up and go, your, your brothers are fine. They're not going to be sent to juvenile hall. Oh my God. Because someone else has decided to sweep all their problems under the carpet and given us a million dollars. <laughs> so, so he's... he's <laughs> He's changed his opinion of a lifetime. Yep. This woman oh. is a real massive snob because she gave a huge amount of money to the school. <laughs> to and save help, two people. To help who, his brothers, admittedly. No, but, but who deserve everything that they yeah. get. But they've managed to make it disappear by virtue of a lot of money. So, they kiss. And the oh. snow starts to fall again, having decided they are both wonderful and need to be together. Because Darcy isn't a snob and Luke is still a carpenter. Darcy is then delivered home and is shown in <laughs> to her entire family sitting around the Christmas tree with all of the presents. And she goes, oh, this is so wonderful. It means we can all have, we can all have Christmas together and open our presents together. And they go, no, no, no. We've already opened all our presents. These are the presents that we gave you for the last eight years. Oh, We've my kept God. All every present. She goes in and thinks, my God, there's a lot of presents in here. This is a bit over the top, even for like Bloomingdale's or something. They, we can't have this many presents, even as a family. And then they're all oh hers. <laughs> Wait, hang on. Her family haven't been giving her presents. She just not... No, no one's been she's not been turning up. I know she's not been coming back. No, it's like, them to yes, her. exactly. <laughs> it's a two-hour flight. Yes, they, they, but no, they didn't tell her because they, none they, of them have been to New York. Like, no. there's just been no contact. Ah, no, no, no. The, the, the mother has been three times. I think right. once when Darcy was in hospital or something like that. But okay. at the same time, like her mother, they have a connection because at least she didn't. At least the mother didn't cut Darcy out. Even though no one else cut her out either. But anyway, mm. wait. If, if I don't, I think if my parents didn't acknowledge Christmas and like didn't send me presents, or I didn't send them, I'd be a bit miffed too. Like, I don't yeah. Like... No, but the thing is, she was totally fine with this. It's only when she comes back and finds out that there are eight years worth of Christmas presents for her there, <laughs> and it, oh my god, one of the one of the presents, and there are over two hundred. They actually put a figure on it. There oh are over two hundred. One of the first ones she opens up is Ernest Hemingway's typewriter. Oh my god! That her dad decided. Oh, I thought you might be a writer, so I got you this because oh I thought you'd god. like it. Wait, and wait, also, and also, you have a career as not a as a writer. It's no, in not, numbers. It's absolutely. And I not, seem to not know anything about my own daughter. Exactly, and not only that, but the, but also, it's the thing that um, uh, I know you always really like typewriters, so I got you this one. Also, uh, no one ever likes to go into a, an auction against me because they know I won't stop bidding. <sighs> Like you idiot! <laughs> paying for everything which is already too expensive. <laughs> Nothing says love and care and affection like that. You put so much thought into it. Jesus. <laughs> right. So, Dar- uh, sorry. So she has all her Christmases at once, and a lot more family bonding happens. And her brothers even say, "I love you, sis," to her. Wow. Yeah. I bet that doesn't feel empty. No, not at all. <laughs> but, but she's got so many presents. Oh, so her life is full now. Mm. She's had to buy another house. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> chapter 19 Luke and Darcy enjoy several days of canoodling at her parents place 
Uh, and when they finally come downstairs again, uh, Darcy is expecting her parents to be disapproving. Luke is like, why are you so hung up on this? Um, uh, the parents only ask them uh, when the wedding will be and where do you want it? And uh, we can still have it at the plaza, Darcy, if you want. <laughs> God. Um, this throws both of them completely. Uh, they, they only knew that they were both getting married for the wrong reasons not that necessarily they wanted to get married to each other that would be, you know, that would be moving way too fast um, the words settle and kids wind Darcy up something cruel uh, so she decides to go to uh, and have a spa day with Bingley to calm down mm. that's what she decides it needs to happen so that's an entire chapter again. It's just them talking about new wedding plans, her having a tiny bit of uh, you know anxiety attack, and therefore decides to go to the spa. Well, that's okay. the entire chapter. They've been today f- t- together for one day. Less, mm. right? Oh no, no, no. So... this is a few days at this point. At this point. Oh, so okay. maybe they because... can get married then. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing stopping them getting married. Sounds probably fine. Well, yeah. <laughs> like Nothing stopping them getting married yeah. except their own better judgment. But it's interesting they don't have any of that. Mm. I think that yes. Mm. Anyway, so chapter twenty. During the spa day, which is described in you know eloquent detail, how beautiful all the people are, uh, uh, all of the masseuse and all of that kind of thing, and the, the, the specific rocks that they use, which are mined from some... Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> yes, so during this, Bingley mentioned something about what Luke said the first time Darcy went to his house, when he had the enormous go at her about being such a selfish snob. Mm. This sticks inside her head. And she dives headfirst into doubt and par- into a doubt and paranoia vortex, which which she becomes convinced can only be broken if Luke can convince her that he doesn't think that she's a snob. He's already said to her way more than he needed to about how much she isn't a snob, and that's why he wants to be with her when they were in the restaurant he, and had just cut off his own marriage. Yeah, he in broke order up to be with his her. No, no, no. But he still might think that she's a snob. Uh, okay, yeah. And therefore, he has to. He has to, in order for them to still be together. He has to prove that to her. Otherwise, it, well, she's not even going to break up with him. But that needs to happen. That's that's the whole. That's the whole thing. So, Bingley, because she keeps shouting at him about how much Luke has to do this, Bing, Bingley becomes infuriated and slightly scared. The words that the, the author uses at this vicious Darcy, whose spa day doesn't seem to have calmed her down at all, he tells her most sincerely that she isn't a snob. Because she has done things for other people sometimes. <laughs> That's not what snobbery is. I know. <laughs> that he has never thought of her as one, and that just having lots of money and being rude to lesser people than you doesn't make you a snob. <laughs> I am fucking quoting here. <laughs> this is it's such unbelievable. A, like, people looking at each other and being like, no, no, I don't think we have privilege. No, I don't believe... No, no people with privilege had... No, no. But no. The thing is, if I was going to film this, I would want there to be like a sharpened stone, which she was going like this. <laughs> and he's just going, no, 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 you're not a snob, I promise, I promise, I'm just saying anything. That is the only way this bit can make sense. Literally the only way. So, so Darcy sees, astonishingly, that he's right. Luke, it gets better. Luke mistook her self esteem for snobbery. Uh, because all she was doing. Was all she was doing she, because she, she just got a really high self esteem. Yeah, that's because, why she keeps having panic attacks. Exactly because the reason why she doesn't have any friends in New York is because the only people who ask her out on dates because she's so fabulous are creepy stock market guys. There's no other men in New York at all. 
And then also, and there was loads of other stuff like this, and it's just, oh, wow. Also, yes, also, she questions why Luke has decided that he wants to be with her on the basis of her paying for her brothers to get out of Juvenile Hall. She questions that. <laughs> yes, I'm like, questioning that quite hard yeah. as well. I thought we were just going to gloss over it, but now actually the main character has decided to bring it up. We should probably look at that a bit harder. I, I mean, yeah, I think it's quite problematic. Exactly, to be honest. But, you know, she decides that therefore she has to go and have a proper talk with Luke, unlike all of the other ones that they've had, and all of the pillow chats they've had during the days of canoodling none of that was good enough that might be the first decent decision she's made yeah. exactly yeah. So, so hear about what she does chapter 21 Darcy goes to a restaurant with Luke to confront him about how she feels but she can't she ends up being snarky and passive aggressive no yeah <laughs> he calls her out on this she gets worse breaks everything off with him and runs home oh to hide in her god why won't it end <laughs> this is exactly what I was doing I was so close to the end of the damn book and I'm like please just be happy are there going to be 25 chapters yeah, I won't tell you yet but yeah, uh, I'm sure there will be 20 no. okay uh, yeah 24 in an epilogue <laughs> right um, yes so, so, so she runs home she decides that the bedroom isn't helping because the bedroom is where she came to calm down before and where she was watching Gilmore Girls and eating Rocky Road and thing. and even little lion who is a stuffed toy that she's had since she was 12 but the thing is she hasn't had that same one a new one got bought to replace it says oh this in the book it, a new one got replaced to it every year otherwise there's germs this is literally the thing but the point was it was the symbol of the lion because she was the little lion who could she doesn't actually say that but it's, it's close <laughs> there's a little train that could I know exactly uh, so she decides that to clear her mind she's got to go into the garden we then get four pages of, of describing how beautiful the garden is mm. and the crucial point is that she goes to her own special place in the garden which is the gazebo which is as big as most people's houses. Mm. And the thing is, no one ever looked for her in the gazebo because it was out of bounds. So no one ever thought to look for her. She was hiding in plain sight. And she considers this to be one of the cleverest things she ever did when she was a child. <laughs> like, wow, those debate team honours, really. I don't, know, I don't know what you were debating, but my God. <laughs> you can't see me. <laughs> I'd say that's cheating. Well, exactly. <laughs> like, I'm just going to go and hide in a place where you're not allowed to go. <laughs> <laughs> so th- now there was there was a there was a, 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 a quote that I took down from this specifically because I thought it was actually quite a nice sentence. I feel like I would like to throw this to the floor, uh, throw, throw this open to the floor. Uh, it was a thing of she's they describe her walking through uh, with the, with the um, uh, frost crunching underfoot and the, the trees and uh, said that um, the sky was only one never-ending blanket of dark grey purple. and that was uh, that was the best way that she turned a phrase throughout the entire book. Is it, is it all right? right? This yes. could be worse. Yeah. Professional writing, I'd, hope would... I'd guess if I'd read the rest of the book up until <laughs> that point, I'd be like, oh. Okay. Yeah, no, this, this is exactly my feeling. I was like, I actually want to write that down because that's the best thing I've read in this. Um, yeah. Did, wait, did you say dark grey purple? Yes. What? The thing is, I know... I do, okay. as, a man, as a man who is deeply appreciative of sunsets, I do know that a dark... You know, you know when the, uh, the the sun has basically disappeared and you get those different shades of purple up in the sky. Yeah. I quite yeah. appreciated that. I thought it was a nice sort of thing. Yeah. But then it dulls it. Like surely you should say a color that makes it pop slightly, or is it supposed yeah. to look? I think it's about the mood. Uh, I see. Yes, exactly. So quite good reflection of the mood, not just yeah. using money. Uh, okay. Um, but yes, so uh, she waits there to try and clear her head and gather her thoughts. Unfortunately, this doesn't work. 
<laughs> also, this doesn't work. A, a key begins to turn in the gazebo. Oh my god! She thinks, oh my god! But it's there's an intruder. Band. Yes, there's an mm. intruder. She's going to get uh, you know assaulted or something like that. So she does. She reacts as any refined lady would do and hides and hurls her Stephen Madden kitten heel at the attack. Oh my god! Which turns out to be her mother, whom she concusses. Oh my god! <laughs> Oh, I hope she dies. Oh, I really want her to die. So, so her mother, who's just this a heart attack. Darcy going to jail for <laughs> I really want that to be the ending. Yeah, so she can cuss her mother, and there's a lot of, oh my god, mother, why did you throw a shoe at me? Yeah. And We're on our property. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. No, not only that, she actually quotes, I mean, who throws a shoe? <laughs> They've got an Austin Powers quote in there. I don't know how, but it was there. <laughs> It's absolutely magnificent. Okay. Amazing. This results in further apologies and explanations and another massive heart-to-heart where uh, finally, even though they've had this huge heart-to-heart in the hospital, finally she reveals everything about how she's been feeling about Luke, about the family, about all of this kind of thing. Um, uh, The the result is the heart-to-heart which convinces her uh, during which her mother and herself managed to convince her that the only problem is a lack of communication and whether or not Luke is right for her doesn't matter. The only way to find out is to do it. Wow, that's not true. Mm. Well, exactly. <laughs> it's even better. The only, way to fi- the only way to find out is to be with him. To just, to just commit is basically... Ooh, yeah. The, yeah, I know. Exactly. Chapter 22. <laughs> Darcy is... T- Darcy is taken back into uh, her bedroom. Her mother brings her up a pot of chamomile tea. And when she is sufficiently relaxed, she decides she's going to call Luke. Because that's exactly what you need to do. Um, And they decide to meet, to have this enormous heart-to-heart, at a tiki room. Mm, because excellent. the thing is they said previously that the Star Tavern was the only place where you could buy drinks in <laughs> and suddenly a tiki room has popped into, into being. Yeah, so... The relationship he had with Charlotte was remarkably like the one that she had with Carl. And so when... (laughs) The only reason why he'd said those things to her about her being a snob was because Charlotte was there that night and had said to him, if you don't go out there and tell her exactly what I think of her, although he said he, I'm pretty sure he meant she, anyway, uh, then I am never going to speak or have anything to do with you again. So that's why he came out and was so mean, because otherwise he was going to have to break it off with this woman who he'd been having this on-off relationship with who he didn't really like anyway. What? Wait, when did that, which part of, (laughs) when 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 her hair was going to go frizzy in the rain and he was like... You should. Yeah. You're, you're leave me you alone. You're an awful. Oh, why are you yeah. trying to wreck everything? Oh, the one before. Mm-hmm. There was no, the first time. No, no, the first time. No, 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 no. That, that's mm-hmm. after the kissing under the mistletoe. Oh. It's, it's also, also after he got engaged, and she came and went. I, oh, I don't right, want yeah, you to yeah. be engaged. Oh. And he went, yeah. "Stop being such a bitch." Yeah. Yeah. Which she then, face. Yeah, we're not a thing. Exactly. Um, so yes. Uh, it's the, that's what the end of reason he treated her so badly in high school because he'd always thought she was too good for him and was trying to take her down a peg or two mm. so, oh these people should not oh, be together oh. that, that was the whole reason because it, it, like it, it, she describes how he treated it was not well mm. it was not okay there was a lot of I mean the, the equivalent is the sort of hair pulling stuff you do in the playground but apparently, because that was... It also, it all happened this to high school, so it doesn't matter. Even though she was ready to break off this thing with him because of what he'd said about... Anyway, it doesn't matter. Anyway, once everything has been explained and gone over, they kiss again. And this time, unlike the other times when fireworks were going off in her head, everything feels good and right and true. 
Mm. We then get the epilogue. So I'm sorry, you missed out on three uh, chapters. Uh, three chapters. Curses. We have <laughs> we have an epilogue, which is two years later. Oh God. Uh, I, I'm afraid I had to slightly like uh, condense this down. I will try and remember as much as I can. But at this stage, I was just getting quite depressed. Um, <laughs> they have everything. There's a lot of you know. They have um, uh, whatever it's called. Two hundred ply uh, cotton sheets on the bed that they have mm. and the, it's Egyptian cotton and all mm. of this kind of stuff and the, and the, the um, uh, what's his name not Jackson Pollock the, the guy who makes like really quite obscene Jeff Coons do you know the guy who makes quite obscene sculptures they reference him <laughs> the thing. it's like they have a Jeff Coons and I'm like that's only because he is the most expensive oh. sculptor mm. in the world and it's and this kind of stuff. Do they just feel like uh, I'm going to Google? Who's yeah, <laughs> exactly. Jeff Coons. That's the one they wanted. <laughs> exactly. Um, so yes, <laughs> and the thing is that all of this gets described, and then it comes to the fact that they now have a daughter. Oh, which good. Is lovely. Oh. A daughter who is old enough to be on the point of being able to like speak and. Uh, well, is not... already a terrible person. No, no, no. But doesn't have a name. What? I know. <laughs> Wait. So it's, it's like two. Almost. No, but I think it may be slightly less than that. Sorry, when I say about to speak, I'm not sure. She may be just incredibly precocious, but doesn't have a name yet. So Darcy decides to call her Millie, which is the name oh, of her no. assistant. Mm. So she's still trying to make up for being such a bitch to this assistant by saddling her child with a name, which she says in the book she doesn't even really like, but she thinks it would be a really nice thing to do. And uh, what's his name? Uh, Luke agrees with this because he doesn't want to give like the child a name, which is one of their mothers or something like that. That because that's just too dumb that's just too much of a so why don't we yeah that's a really nice thing because she really means a lot to you doesn't she this Millie and Darcy goes Given, yes she means everything to me what <laughs> giving your children names that you like is so old fashioned I know it's weird yeah. isn't it or that the child might anyway and also what I think to be able to tell your child you're named after my assistant <laughs> I love you just... who knitted me scarves every year yeah. and never gave them to me I was such a psycho bitch she was too scared <laughs> It's just everything. That's exactly what the daughter needs to be called. <laughs> so yes. So then, uh, uh, she, uh, they go right. We're going. We're going to go home now. Um, and they, the the chauffeur driven. No, I was going to say chauffeur driven taxi. I assume it's just the chauffeur driven car goes slightly off the uh, beaten track. She goes, "What are you? What are you doing? We're going to miss the airplane to take us to Beverly Hills. Don't worry, we can afford to get the next flight." <laughs> <laughs> Crest the hill, and they see Coney Island. This, this, I don't know if you know what Coney Island is, but it's the, it's the sort of, I think it's, is it the first place you see when you come into America? It's supposed to be to do with immigrants. Is that not it? No, that's uh, Ellis Island. Ellis Island, sorry. What I mean is, it's a Coney famous... Coney Island's like a fairground. Right. Very, very different places. Understood. Sorry, <laughs> what I mean is, it's a, it's, a, it's a thing in New York and it means quite a lot, I, I'm assuming, and all that kind of thing, because she goes, oh, there's Coney Island. I remember Coney Island. It's one of my favorite places to go. I don't know why, but because um, he's the fair, the one with the big wheel. No, I'm saying that, but like, true. But if you're going to go to Coney Island, I imagine going by yourself where your high-powered finance person would be a bit odd. <laughs> <laughs> but apparently, she yeah. loves it deeply and completely. And uh, across Coney Island, like in letters fifty feet high, picked out in lights, Carl Carl oh, has no. written, "Will you marry me, Darcy?" Carl? Carl? Not Carl, sorry. Oh my god. Uh, <laughs> I was like, Luke, I can't take Luke. a plot twist in it. <laughs> Unintentional, interesting plot twist. A Freudian slip was more interesting <laughs> yeah. than what actually happens. No, but sorry, Luke has written out in these letters, Will you marry me, Darcy? Oh, Two years yeah. later. And she goes, 
yes, this is the most romantic way I could possibly imagine <laughs> being proposed to by missing a flight and having Coney Island sectioned off. Oh my god! And also, this was ne- like it, it was a place that was never referenced. No, at, yeah. at any other point. <laughs> at so any other point. Really, like. <laughs> Wow, how did you know it means so much to me, even though we don't talk about anything to each other? (laughs) Well, over the two years, maybe he found out something. Ask somebody else, maybe. Anyway. Maybe it's a new thing. Exactly. So that that is the end of Pride and Prejudice and Mistletoe. Wow, okay. Thank you. (laughs) I think. Um, Sorry, a small caveat at the end. Just do want to say this. G... uh, Said to me earlier on, I think it would be, I think it'd be really interesting. This was weeks ago before before this happened. He went, I think it'd be really interesting if you could do it, so that it really did seem as though you liked the book. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, no, that's a really good idea. I th- I'll see if I can try that. I think I may have to not quote from the entire book, <laughs> but we'll see. And then I got, I read the second half of the book and was like, no, I can't. I can't. <laughs> okay, uh, Nemo, would you recommend the book to anyone? Um. I think I would. Ironically. I I think I would. Like, the problem is, after doing this podcast for so long, (laughs) that my only comparison for recommending books is that, like, at every point in this podcast so far, I've said, well, the really terrible racism, homophobia, misogyny, and the rape references have not been really fun. So I wouldn't recommend this book because of all those things. Yeah. But this one <laughs> didn't have so much of those. So I was, like, genuinely enjoying myself. Yeah, you know, in the kind of, like, oof, I wonder when she's going to get assaulted. But she didn't. So... Yeah. I kind of would. <laughs> when? <laughs> it's the slightly smaller and shinier cockroach. Yeah. cockroach yes. presented. If you have to read one thing from Represented, <laughs> you might as well read this one. This is maybe the least harmful one. Yeah. Grace? Uh, no. No? I, you, you've really considered that, haven't you? Like, no, from the beginning like, of the whole presentation, I think. Like, the thing is, is like, I... I have always quite enjoyed Pride and Prejudice, and like the the links of a tenuous at best. Oh yeah. Like, oh yeah. And it's okay. just like even as the genre that it's meant to be a part of, it doesn't it doesn't, it doesn't carry. <laughs> so I just it's just it's just not a very good book. It's just, it's just not good. <laughs> okay, fair. So yeah. you're a no. Uh, no. I I think there's probably are people I would recommend this to. Um, like, Name one. Sorry, I don't mean name as in, like, yeah. I don't want to put yeah. that on the spot, but can you, know, you know, what describe is to me the person who we yeah. might know, who could possibly be interested in this book? Someone who knows lots about Pride and Prejudice and really liked the OC. Mm. Man has a point. <laughs> yes, no, okay. I, I, like, yeah. it's got that total, like, American teenage drama thing going for it. I hadn't thought, actually, yes, from the point of view, if someone had to read it, then it would probably be better if they were a teenager. And definitely mm. someone with very sort of high-flown romantic ideals and a serious love of like luxury. But I think I think just yeah, that, right. that sort of a... American upper-class melodrama thing, mm. where they are—they're all terrible people. Like yeah. I, I, I was a big fan of the OC when I was oh, yeah. younger, and it, it's awful. Well, actually, like as a program, it's a good show. I thought, but most of the characters were awful people that did terrible things to each other all of the time they yeah. never told each other the truth or communicated their actual feelings so it's got all of those things yeah. <laughs> that's true I mean I so nev- yeah I think there's an audience that I would recommend it to I, I never liked the OC that much but like you said I would sort of watch it just to have something on in the background 
this book actually has dragged it down a great deal <laughs> if you see what I mean because I'm like wow no actually that's what it was there was a, there was a, a quote about um, Dallas do you remember the yeah yeah, yeah. which was oh it's, it's bad things happen to bad people in good houses which is exactly what this <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly it's exactly what this book is also the one, one final thing there is an acknowledgement page in, in this book and uh, Melissa De La Cruz says, I am so grateful to the following people for making this book a reality. My editors, Brenda Copeland and Sarah Goodman at St. Martin's, my agents, Richard Abati and Rachel Kim at 3A Arts, and especially Brad Cravoy and Amanda Phillips at Brad Cravoy Television. Thank you to all my family and friends as well. What did, they do? what did the editor do in this whole thing? Was he like, okay, take out some of the adjectives? I can't imagine what like what impact anybody else had on this book. I Melissa's want, want, friends and family, though, not yes, getting exactly. fucking names. <laughs> Just tell us. So Ed. yeah, Ed, there must be some reveal. Bits you uh, <laughs> honesty box. What did what did you think? Um, the the reason <laughs> the reason why I was interested in this is because the last time I did a represented thing, it was uh, the first ever book by Morrissey. <laughs> and I was like, wow, this is going to be mental at the very least. And so when G said he had a Christmas book specifically for me, I was like, oh, it's going to be a, it's going to be something about Saturnalia or it's going to be something you know really, really interesting. And then I saw this and thought, no, he's done the thing I least expected. And I've got to give him credit for that. And I've got to approach this as if uh, to, to try, just try and get anything out of it. What it allowed me, to, it's actually what brings back to what you were saying the fact that this was published means that there are means that there are people who might be willing to buy it it has the same relationship to literature as like an amoeba does to a human like it's not even from that point of view it's not even on the same it's not even on the same level however given that you've got to write it in order that it allows for people who maybe have not read other books particularly it, it like it's coherent which I believe other books in this uh, haven't been. Um, yeah, yeah. The, it, it deals with subjects that you wouldn't expect a deal uh, a book like this to deal with. For instance, the gay uh, relationship and stuff like that. And also, it does try and extol family values really badly, but it does try and extol family values. Because I know I'm trying to be positive here. Uh, in literally every other way, and to the, from the bottom of my heart to the, every single bit of my soul. This book is an execration that should be burnt. <laughs> I did want to give it some positive things before I said that. And so you all join us outside as we gather oh, yeah. around. This is the only thing. I think it is not as harmful as. Oh, as many. Like it's yeah. no, it's the sort of thing. Like it is, it's harmless fluff. Like the the things that are harmful in it are implications about the way that relationships should work, the sort of things mm. that we should accept from our family and from our partners. And I think that is mm. the thing that is harmful about it. Like, if people want to read books that, like, mean nothing and are loosely entertaining, fucking, like, do it. Read what, like, read what you want to read. I have not, enjo- I have not enjoyed, <laughs> I've enjoyed us t- talking bullshit about it. Yeah. But, uh, like, I... It, yeah. It, this is what I was saying to begin with. Like, if people do want to read this, it is. It's harmless fluff, essentially. If it's going to reinforce their prejudices about uh, privilege and the fact that money is the only thing that matters and all that kind of stuff, that is a shame. But it's much, uh, it's much, much better than a lot of books for that. It, it seemed very tongue in cheek and sort of quite sort of knowing about itself. No, that was, <laughs> that was, just, that was okay. me putting that Fair in. Yeah. Because the thing was, I was trying desperately to point out that the 
like appalling it's not even hypocrisy I don't know what you call it in a book but where it basically contradicts itself mm. like blatantly lack mm. of attention to Did you yes shit? yes it's like she wrote every single individual chapter and didn't see how they interconnected like yeah. at all <laughs> And each character is is sketched not badly, but is very much a. I thought it was interesting that the acknowledgements were somebody about somebody from a TV company. Yeah, yeah, because I know that uh, there's like a TV movie of this. Oh, I'm not. Is there? Is there? What's it? Uh, Lacey Chabert. Chabert. I have no idea. Was in Mean Girls. Yeah, Uh, and she will be Darcy. And probably actually give Darcy more character and uh, Mm. you know actual like. You're gonna watch it. Oh God, no! Um, I, I, to be honest, I would be interested to see. Like, uh, <laughs> we're all gonna go home later and watch it. <laughs> I, I, I don't think it's. I don't think the film's been released yet. Right? <gasps> oh, no, I no. think it's like uh, this Christmas on American Tower. <laughs> oh, what? No really? way! So I don't. I don't. Well, because then they mentioned Uber, so this must be like relatively. Yeah. It was published in 2017. Oh wow! Like it's. Uh, <laughs> it might have been. It might be on a streaming yeah. thing in the states. Yeah. Oh I my guess. god! But, yeah, I mean, but the thing is, I would, I, I, I want to go home to go on YouTube and just look at what this yeah. this, this lady does mm. uh, with Darcy because I think she might actually might she might make her try and be quite interesting because even if you've read the book, you're kind of like, I can't do anything. Leaves <laughs> <laughs> quite a lot of work for an actor yes, to do, exactly. really, doesn't it? <laughs> and it? And it also it definitely, actually, now I think about it, and now that you've said this, it does. It reads like a treatment for a mm. for a script. Really mm. badly, actually, mm. um, because all of the details and stuff about like the t- tripping on a pottery barn acorn. It's <laughs> <laughs> a pottery barn acorn, but just festooned. I can just imagine the people who are the designers for the show mm. going, "Oh, pottery barn, we can do that." Yeah, and yeah, exactly. do that and, and it's yeah, because there was a few massive things you meant, of advertising. There was even a f- there was a few things you mentioned that mm. were like specific products. Mm. Oh, I'm yeah, assuming yeah, yeah. there was tons of that. Loads, mm. absolutely loads. Uh, well, thanks very much for reading the book. No problem. Um, do any of you have any questions that you'd like to ask? Now you can tell we're actually live. Not, <laughs> here. not just us lunatics. When you were talking about burning the book, um, one of our fantastic audience members had led forward and uh, yes, a lighter on the table. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm just going to ask if we have any idea if um, this author has been to Ohio. Because I can tell you there's not that many mansions in Ohio. (laughs) What you were asking was, do we think uh, Melissa de la Cruz has uh, ever been to Ohio? Because as uh, our audience member knows, there are not that many uh, mansions in Ohio. (laughs) Uh, Not only that, but my sister lives in Columbus, Ohio. (laughs) Which they actually have, you know, what they call white picket fences. This is how sort of Midwestern she is. And yeah, I, I asked her about it. No, no mansions like this at all. <laughs> and I think uh, it's uh, from what I can gather, uh, trying to find out anything about Melissa Dunn Cruz is very, very difficult. F- from what I can gather of um, what you're supposed to do, as far as I know, about research into things like this is um, go and see the places that you're trying to describe. Now, obviously, she didn't do that, but I can imagine that... Cause I don't think there was a budget for that. Understood. <laughs> but um, she, she, the, the, the writer lives in, uh, in Los Angeles and Palm Springs. Mm-hmm. So I imagine that she's been to a lot of, like, L.A. parties mm-hmm. and gets a lot of, like, the, the trickle-down, I suppose you'd call it, of kind of like, oh, right, this is how people do things when they want to show off, because that's what these people do. And, and I worry that... She's slightly her own audience in as much as she slightly mm. wishes that this was her life. But this mm. is really interesting. So I'm on the Wikipedia because that's mm. what I like to do. Yeah. yeah. She grew up in Manila in the Philippines and then like 
uh, immigrated to America, and then she got into Colombia, which is where oh, okay. Darcy goes ah, to. Exactly. Um, and then... They, they say, write what you know. This is, it's, it's, this is what she's doing. Yeah, and then she started working and living in L.A., which is really interesting to me. Like, I absolutely assumed that she was a white... Precisely. Like, I mean, I didn't because of the name. Dela yeah, Dela Cruz. Mm. I mean, but yeah. I imagined like Spanish, not uh, like Hispanic. Yeah, Hispanic. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But, but exactly, and it was. This, but this is what I mean. The, the thing is that she doesn't. The thing you were saying about self-awareness, there is so little self-awareness mm. in it that I think someone who did have roots in this kind of society couldn't help but put some self-aware this stuff in because they would right. surely understand how ridiculous mm. the whole thing is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think you're right. I think that she hasn't gone to Ohio, but I think that Ohio is. I presume I'm not sure, but I presume that Ohio is sort of the same as like Kent or something like that in England. Do you know what I mean? It's the, no, no, no. Understood. Sorry, what I mean is, but it's it's sort of like the old country where the posh people live. It's like the Hamptons or something like that. Not even. No. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah, because I kept forgetting it was Ohio. Mm. I assumed it was like the Hamptons or upstate mm. New York or something. Yeah. I just I think that probably but it maybe that she was well Why is it Ohio? Like, well, there, such a right. there is a lot there is a lot in the like Ohio <laughs> it is claimed to be extremely boring. Um and sort of flat and like rolling hills but, but um uh, it's also the middle of absolutely nowhere. No one goes there because it's exciting. And so I therefore think that right. this the idea of uh, Darcy going from Breaking out of the, mm. of the really boring place with the mansions and going to New York is kind of, I think, what a lot of people okay. are wanting to do because of the bright lights and things like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then, what the point of the book maybe is that if you go back to the really boring place, there might be a carpenter there for you. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, that's a good point. <laughs> Any yeah. other questions? I just want to say, I don't want to read it, but I desperately want it made into a Christmas movie by Charlie Brooker. so the comment was um, I don't want to read it but I would like to see a uh, Christmas movie made by Charlie Brooker (laughs) yeah I would would enjoy Charlie Brooker's take on it exactly all the guys who did like um, what's it called goes up to 11 Spinal Tap Spinal Tap or or a Mighty Wind or one of those kind of ones if they had it so that everyone was playing it totally straight but it was as ridiculous as it obviously is Mm. I think that'd be amazing another thing which is it's slightly got a point for it is that there is no um the fact that there is no like under underscored bitterness is actually quite sweet and refreshing in as much as given that we are in a country that is like that venerates Charlie Brooker et al which I think is absolutely a good thing in the way that it should be the problem is that cynicism can become a mask for um can become a sort of representation of intelligence if you're just cynical about everything then it it sounds like you know what you're talking about and so actually to have something like this which is literally half on its sleeve I just want to be happy is Mm. actually quite refreshing Mm. it's not a good thing but it is quite quite refreshing Um, I would say yeah and that's what I like it's it's the if, if you just scale back your the amount that you know about this kind of stuff and the fact that it's based on Pride and Prejudice I think that's the biggest problem if they haven't, if they, if they haven't based it on something which is supposedly this really wonderful piece of English literature then I would have had possibly more time for it but the fact <laughs> that it actually tries to associate itself with literature is embarrassing alright thank you very much and thank you guys for coming Hi again, thanks for listening. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter with the tag at RepresentedPod. And until now, while you've been able to subscribe on iTunes and Spotify and all your other podcast apps, 
We've only ever had a few episodes available. But we finally upgraded our SoundCloud account and reposted all of our past episodes. So now you can actually listen to all of them through whatever app it is you use. Thank you again to Adventurers Wanted for lending us all the kit we used to record. Grace has been part of their series Agents of the Nine Hells, hosted on the official D&D Twitch channel over the past couple of months, and it's now all available to watch on YouTube. Nemo has a show coming up that they'd love you to come and see. It's part of next year's Vault Festival, and it's called Asian Pirate Musical. And if you're not sold on the title alone, then I feel bad for you. Grace and Nemo also make another podcast together. It's called Bread and Barricades, where they take a modern look at Victor Hugo's Les Miserables. As ever, my own site has a bunch of random stuff that I'm working on and have worked on, and it would make me happy if you went and had a look. There will be a link in the show notes, along with links to everything else. That's all for this episode. Thanks very much for listening to Season 1. There will be a Season 2 at some point next year. Just depends how long it takes me to think up a good sign-off. Bye. Bye.